here. And we're going. Cool. All right. I'm here with JP Beerley from Beerley Brewing. And hey, how you doing? This is part of our uh, Meet the Brewer series with the Zero Tolerance uh, Facebook group. And so, JP, I just want to ask you first, how is the pandemic treating your hair, right? My hair is getting <laughs> really long and college-like. Uh, how do you keep your hair, hair so trim in, in the pandemic? Um, you know, I, had, I have a couple secrets. Uh, one of them is about five weeks ago, um, I grabbed my pair of scissors and I went to my wife, Amelia, and I said, could you please cut my hair? And she did it in my kitchen. Uh, I was so scared. Uh, I was so frightened. Uh, I, I won't, I won't let anybody touch my hair. And, and she cut my hair. Uh, she did a great job. And, uh, I was a little self-conscious for a couple days when I went out because I was kind of thinking, you know, everybody's going to see my hair and going to think, Ooh, who cut his hair? He must've broken quarantine. Um, <laughs> So, but I got out of that, you know, it grew in just a little bit more and, and, and I felt comfortable again. So yeah, it's, I'm just about getting to needing uh, the point where I need another haircut actually. It's just, like, yeah, my, I'm myself included. I think it's almost time for pan for Corona cut number two, right? So, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's frightening. You, did yeah. you see the uh, meme on Facebook uh, long, uh, like uh, what week two of the, of the lockdown with uh, the person with the, the mullet and it said you know us after 10 weeks of of quarantine um and home <laughs> yeah. home homegrown haircuts uh, yeah. <laughs> so um i wanted to get uh get your perspective on well what 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 got you interested in brewing to begin with and did you start brewing gluten-free to begin with uh and if you didn't like well how did your journey take you to what you do, you're doing now for gluten-free brewing yeah, so um, back in 2006, uh, I started homebrewing uh, with barley, uh, mostly extract, uh, and I was not diagnosed at the time. Um, and what, how I got into homebrewing was uh, my father-in-law, well, well, I should back up, he wasn't my father-in-law yet, uh, he was my girlfriend's father, uh, my wife now. Um, and he, I went over one day and was having dinner over at her parents' house. And uh, Mike is his name. Mike said, uh, have you ever brewed before? Uh, I haven't done it in a long time, but I'd really like to get back into it. And I thought about it for just a split second and thought, you know, this could be a really great way to get to know this person that I'm going to hope that I know for a real long time. And so I said, you know, I never have, but I'd love to try it. So we started home brewing, and uh, at the time, uh, neither of us were diagnosed celiac. We actually both are now, uh, interestingly, but both uh, his daughter, now my wife, and uh, his wife, my mother-in-law, uh, have been diagnosed. Uh, Amelia, my wife, for her entire life, and uh, Cheryl, her mother, since like 1981. Uh, so what we were doing with home brewing back in starting in 2006 is we would brew our batch of really bad barley beer because it was terrible. And then we were experimenting with gluten-free ingredients uh, for dedicated gluten-free, uh, uh, dedicated gluten-free batch of beer with no barley included. And we were using 
all of the fermentables we had available to us at the time that we could figure out. Uh, we were using, can you guess which, what we were using? Um, sorghum. Was it sorghum? Nope. nope. Brown nope. rice syrup. Nope. Not available. <laughs> not available. <laughs> Any other guesses? I can't think of anything else. Candy syrup. Uh, there was the candy sugar, the predecessor to candy syrup, but yeah. the candy syrup wasn't out yet. So if you've ever used candy sugar, which I, I use it in a batch still, uh, even the color, the dark color candy sugar never gives you a dark color beer. It's really, it's, it's really strange. I've never figured that one out. So we were using candy sugar. We were using honey in very small amounts. We were using molasses, which don't use molasses in your beer unless you like licking iron. Um, and then uh, the big fermentable was we were using uh, rice syrup solids. And that led to a very, very light beer. But it was actually good. And I actually brewed kind of my interpretation of that beer back la this last fall. And I called it back in my day IPA. And it was really good. Like, I remembered the beer tasting really good back then, but I had was pretty sure that it was pretty bad. It just was, you know, memory giving me those rose-colored glasses. But that that beer that I brewed just a couple months ago with the same way, it was really good. It sounds like if you take the hops out, you're you're brewing a mead, right? <laughs> a, a little bit, yeah, 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 yeah. It was like um, it was like uh, what, what did the what did the one person say? Uh, the gluten free home brewer that was brewing a hundred percent adjunct beer. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so, uh, can can you give us a rundown of well, first of all, your last name is Beerly. Is that a coincidence yeah. that you became a brew a home brewer and then now have your own brewery, or was that like uh, a fate that you were to become a brewer? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the the interesting story about it is is my great grandparents uh, that uh, I knew uh, they were they were teetotalers. They were prohibitionists uh, back yeah. in yeah back back during the time of prohibition, and I they they're they're buried uh, up near uh, Portland and I drive by every once in a while, make sure they're not turning in their grave um, <laughs> because they got to be, they, you got to be a pretty tough teetotaler to have a last name like Beerly though. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew, I knew when I, uh, when I decided I wanted to start a brewery, I thought about the name of the brewery for about two seconds because yeah. I already knew what the, the brewery was going to be called. So can you give us uh, you know, the whole rundown, the who, what, when, where, why about um, your brewery, your operation, where is it at, um, how big of badges do you have? It looks like from what I've seen before that it's you have a tight quarters to get things done. Give us a little overview about the brewery itself. So the brewery is, the current facility is 800 square feet. Um, I have a freight container in the back so I can store large purchases of things like bottles and malt and things like that, uh, which really makes the rest of the space work. Uh, the brewery's in McMinnville. Um, we are, McMinnville is the original dedicated gluten-free brewery tasting room capital of the world. Uh, I say that in front of the mirror every morning five times. <laughs> I thought McMinnville was a wine town. Come on, JP. We are a brewing town because it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. 
Um, so we're currently in 800 square feet. We, I have a two barrel brew house. Um, it is, uh, I've got three fermenters that are two barrel. Uh, I'm adding a fourth one this next week. I'm going to get a three and a half barrel. So I'll double, uh, actually a three and a half barrel unit tank. Uh, so I'll double batch into that, uh, in one brew day so that I can, uh, make enough beer. Um, and I've got a, a 90 gallon brew kettle. It's all electric. Uh, I've got a hundred gallon, uh, mash ton. Uh, and hot liquor tank. They stack together, uh, one on top of each other. And uh, yeah, we we're, we make it work. We also have a 300 square foot tasting room up front. So um, take you have to subtract that out of the 800 square feet and that tells you how big my brew area is. Um, and and that's, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, you may have seen on uh, social media, we just announced a few weeks ago that we are gonna move uh, we're going to move into a 4,000 square foot building that we do need to renovate uh, to be a brewery uh, on Third Street in McMinnville. That's our main street um, here in McMinnville. And uh, we're hoping to move in there by the winter. Uh, we'll use the current two barrel system for the first year or so and then upgrade to a little bit bigger brewery. Um, I won't say exactly how much. Uh, and and just jam on that. Uh, and my two barrel system will be my pub system. Um, it's, it's really easy to work with. Uh, it's really hands-on. I like that. I like really hands-on brewing. Um, I, I like to be able to let the brewing process become more of an instinct rather than uh, buttons that I push on a screen that do the work for me. Um, and then that, I really feel like that gives the beer the taste like it's a beerly versus being anybody else's beer uh, because it's my, my choices, my decisions in the process that are consistent. So, I mean, once you get all that space, I mean, you, it sounds like you have about 500 square feet of actual brewing space now. So if you get this brand new, big, huge space, what, what are you going to do with all that space? I mean, are you just going to like, <laughs> hold your arms out and walk around in a circle. You probably can't even do this right now, right? Uh, yeah. Not bumping into anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, so the answer, the short answer is uh, I'm going to dance. Uh, I'm going to do yeah. a lot of dancing and I'm going to maybe ride my bike around inside, which is fitting <laughs> because the building for 50 years was a bicycle uh, repair shop. Nice, uh, nice. is the, is the building we're going into. And, um, but I, I do know too, uh, that I'm going to fill up that space pretty quick. Uh, when we moved into this 800 square feet, uh, when I first leased it, I said, Oh my gosh, this is so much room. <laughs> <laughs> so the real question though, is does more space equal more donuts, JP? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Is that going to be included in the new, the new brewery? I, I, the reason why I say it is I'm looking at your, your website, uh, beerlybrewing.com. And the very first thing that comes up, I don't know if this is strategic or not, is a giant maple bar, right? So yeah. come on. And it is, it's maple bar weekend this week. <laughs> I'm a little bit hungry and I'm just getting very hungry looking at that picture. It looks really delicious. It's funny because my wife, Amelia, is our baker and marketing uh, person. And uh, she and I laugh a lot that we're a brewery, but we primarily talk about 
the baked goods that we make. In fact, we were meeting with somebody the other day who had looked at our website and said, so did you start out as a bakery and then you added beer? <laughs> <laughs> I, I see some of the, the social media um, on Facebook and Instagram that, um, that gets posted with all the food and man, it looks really delicious. I'm definitely gonna have to make a trip down there just to try some of the the good food that looks like you guys are pushing uh, pushing out of that. And that's all your wife, right? She does all yeah. that stuff? Nice. Yep, looks she does delicious. the pretzels, she does the baguettes, she does the, the donuts. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's really, she's really the, uh, the, uh, the ace in the, in the, in the hand. Um, because, you know, uh, I, I, I happen to think we make pretty good beer, but, um, her donuts are excellent and her pretzel pretzels are excellent. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think her, her pretzels and donuts are probably better than my beer is. So, um, wow. <laughs> wow. They're they're really good. We're gonna they're have to edit, we might have to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? <laughs> so talk to me about the the pandemic. Uh, we all know that's going on. So you have this new space that's opening up. I've talked to several other people that have you know plans or or right in the middle of opening and uh, pushed everything back. Is this um, current situation that we're in, is it pushing back your plans significantly? Are you still moving forward and all, all uh, full speed ahead on your, your new setup? And what do you see as like the, the near future, your, your plans with the pandemic in mind? Can I take about a two minute break uh, real quick to run to the other room and then you can yeah. cut, cut it together. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should have done one more, one more thing before I sat. <laughs> yeah, let me pause. There you go. Yeah. So in, in terms of like what has changed for us, uh, I mean, everything, uh, nothing. Uh, what would 2020 have been without the pandemic? I don't know. Um, we, we were, we, we had some, with the new facility, we had some plans on how we were going to get in there. Uh, those plans changed. Uh, we had to take a beat and think about, uh, whether or not we still wanted to go forward because, you know, 800 square feet with a lease that we can afford um, easily uh, is a pretty attractive place to ride out the end of the world, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But pretty early on, you know, we were looking at the numbers and saying, like, we still, we're, we're still growing. Um, and so we want to be still moving forward. Uh, even during this time, and and uh, we were pretty lucky uh, in terms of being essential in the state of Oregon. Uh, we were pretty lucky because uh, we were all we already had a good wholesale business. Um, all of our on-premise wholesale uh, went away uh, immediately. Um, it's slowly coming back now, but uh, you know all those kegs and all those bottles for restaurants those just those restaurants were just closed. Uh, but uh, that wasn't the majority of our wholesale business. Uh, that's always been grocery stores uh, and bottle shops, and those places stayed open. Um, and so we've seen more sales. Um, and that's kind of the, the fact that we've concentrated more on grocery stores as opposed to uh, uh, tap rooms and bottle shops and restaurants um, was... Uh, has been over the four years that we've been in business an intentional choice 
Um, my feeling you know, has always been as a, as somebody who has celiac myself, my, my thought has always been that I want to have my beer where people with celiac disease expect to be able to find it. And other people might have a slightly different experience than I do, but I know when I was diagnosed, there were all these places I didn't go anymore, all these restaurants that I didn't go to anymore. And um, my, my ability to walk into a restaurant that I'd never been to before and expect that they were going to even have food that I could eat, let alone something to drink, made me uh, not so adventurous. Um, but the place that I really started relying on for uh, things to eat and things to drink were grocery stores. Those became the new restaurant because, you know, you could think I'd really like um, fried chicken. Well, you know, we can make fried chicken with gluten-free ingredients by going to the grocery store and getting, uh, getting you know, all the ingredients for it. And what else do they have at the grocery store? Gluten-free beer. So you can also get that, take it home, and you have a nice meal of exactly what you want. And, and it was one stop, and then you prep it at home. So my focus has always been to get into grocery stores that get it, that understand what gluten-free food is, and that it's not a fad diet, that it's, that it's a, a choice for a person's health, uh, and, and, then, um, and then go. That, that's... The, that's kind of been the philosophy. So it kind of ended up a happy accident where we're at right now at this exact time that we were able to continue with that part of our business without any interruption um, despite a pandemic. Well, what else are people going to do when they're stuck at home but drink a lot of beer, right? So it makes perfect, perfect sense, right? And I'm sure that the grocery stores, the beer is flying off the shelves, right? It is. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, one of the things that uh, when I was doing my research uh, for opening a brewery uh, was to look at uh, what breweries, what happened to breweries during the Great Recession. And the anecdote at that time, just even you know five or six years ago, was that breweries during the Great Recession uh, did well. They 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 were they were quote recession proof, um, and so that was one one piece that I took in uh, and you know wrote into the business plan was that if we if we go in to this and and get into the right places. Um, of course, nobody was expecting a pandemic that was going to shut down every bar and restaurant. Uh, but if we go in uh, to this the right way uh, and and grow in a in a sustainable way, uh, the idea was that uh, beer is still a, uh, a an affordable luxury even amidst financial crisis, which is what we were looking at from two thousand eight through you know. JP, how dare you say that it's a luxury? It's a necessity. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy, right? <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about equipment. <laughs> I, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to get your take on uh, you know, equipment for brewing great gluten-free beer and what is the one thing, maybe you have more than one thing that you find is essential? I know that for instance, you have uh, 
a custom mill that um, is actually now something that gluten-free home brewing uh, sells as a dedicated gluten-free uh, mill, but maybe there's something else that's in your arsenal that you think uh, you could not live without, right? Yeah. So I was thinking about this because, you know, um, we, we talked a couple days ago and you asked me to, to think about my one piece of equipment and I couldn't come up with one. So for your consideration, I have three pieces of equipment that I can't live without. And I, I, I am going to show them to you in terms of uh, importance to a home brewer uh, and really accessibility. So I, why do I feel like Johnny Carson right now? Uh, <laughs> so the first is the Marks Keg Cleaner. Uh, you can get this online through uh, kegwasher.com, I believe it is. Uh, they also sell it at many local homebrew stores. Um, this is essential for cleaning kegs, corny kegs. Uh, if you take the spear out of a sand key keg, you can clean it on this too. You can clean uh, fermenter buckets. Uh, anything, this is the same size as one of the eight gallon Brewcraft uh, fermenters, the plastic fermenters. You can clean five gallon buckets. You can take the spear off. It has, um, it has a connection like this to plug into your, uh, your post to clean the, the, the gas side. I always plug in uh, a liquid, or uh, sorry, liquid side, beer side, black beer, and then gray gas. Uh, to, to let it drip out of that. Uh, the really big advantage of this is that this reservoir right here, which is where the cleaning solution goes, this is one gallon and you can use it until it's dirty. So I usually clean, uh, you know, cause I'll rinse out my kegs before I put them on the marks. Uh, and I usually use this for four or five kegs as long as it's looking clean still and it's not dirty. Um, I do a 30 minute cycle with PBW uh, I make the PBW about 120 degrees, and then I do a 20-minute cycle with uh, Santa Clean. Uh, for something like this, you want to use a low-foaming uh, acid rinse rather than the Star Sand. The Star Sand, you're going to have foam everywhere. So uh, look at Santa Clean and use Santa Clean in this. Um, and this is the Mark's Cake Cleaner. They're under 100 bucks from your local homebrew store. I think my kids would prefer it if you use Star Sand in that thing that would be awesome to them star sand and a little bit of <laughs> food coloring and you have a party yeah yeah <laughs> uh the next one to stay on brand um some of you have seen this before why am i talking to you like you're an audience uh you may have seen this before kale uh this is a standard false bottom this fits in the eight gallon heavy-duty brewing kettle that many local homebrew stores have. I believe it's an Eagle brand, false bottom. This is the right size for barley, but as we all know, gluten-free malts will pass right through this, uh, through this mesh. So this is combined with a 500 micron uh, uh, filter screen, and then I've adapted that with a ring that goes all the way around the perimeter to sandwich the whole thing together. Uh, the ring is not necessary for the first two years I used this. I used cotter pins, four of them, to clip it at the four, at four corners, and it worked just fine. Um, I, uh, I have two more of these, including one for a 20-gallon mash tun and one for my two-barrel mash tun that are constructed exactly the same way. 
and after I had those done, I liked the ring design so much better that I went back and had a ring made for this one. And just a single handle, because you just want to be able to lift it up out uh, as you're cleaning. Uh, you don't need two handles. Uh, more handles is just more to hit with your mash paddle. Uh, that's my philosophy. Um, and so that's that's version two two point oh on that one. This is well. This is version one with revision two point Okay, got it. Yeah, because I've got basically I've got version one, version two, and version three, and then technically now this is version one revision two. I guess. And it reminds me of the um, the uh, filters, the screens that um, gluten-free home brewing is uh, adding in with their grandfather, right? Um, yeah, that's his are a thousand microns, um, a little bit bigger. Uh, it still filters all uh, the same. Uh, and he actually, Brian and Alyssa came up with that filter design based on on uh, on this first one that I made. And he loves it. It's great. Uh, it's it's a great solution for uh, for mashing with gluten free malts. It really is. All right. So I have a third. It seems like you might have one other thing. You're kind of breaking <laughs> the rules here, but okay. Let's see what else you got. You know, I asked Jason Yerger of Mutantis what he said his one piece of equipment was. Do you know what he told me, Kale? What? He said. I don't think I was asked that question. So. <laughs> well, we like to change it up here. We like to change things up. <laughs> I figured you asked me because I, I'm out there as the equipment guy, right? Uh, so the third piece, and this is, um, uh, what's the right way to say this? This is really cool. It's a really cool toy. Uh, it's absolutely essential for me, but maybe not so essential for a home brewer, but on the other hand, if you have around 400 bucks to spend, then maybe it is. Uh, maybe it's a Christmas present or Father's Day. Father's Day is coming up. Uh, and that's my Anton Parr density meter. It's called the Easy Dens uh, from Anton Parr. There's a good picture of it right there. Uh, it contains their proprietary YouTube technology, patent pending. Um, there is a, a glass tube in here that the uh, you, you take... Um, a sample of your wort, you stick it on here, you push down the plunger, it fills the YouTube up and the extra comes out of this dealy. I always do it right next to the sink. It connects up to your iPhone or Android as well. Um, I don't think if you have a Windows phone, it'll work with that. Uh, but we should talk later if you still have a Windows phone. And Does it work um, with my Zoom? It, my Zoom? Uh, gosh, um, check with Bill Gates on that one. Check with Bill Gates. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say check with Bill Gates. So, uh, the cool thing about this, uh, is that one, it can use as little as a three milliliter sample. So I've measured my, my sample jar, uh, for the triple scale hydrometer that I always used to use. And that thing was like, eight, nine, 10 ounces, something like that. That's like almost a beer. And you know, if you do a five gallon batch, that's, there's only 40 pints in a five gallon batch. So that's like half a pint just to measure the gravity. And if you want to take another reading, so this three milliliters, you can also measure any time you want during fermentation. Uh, even once there's alcohol, 
even uh, after the beer is finished, as soon as it has CO2 in it, as soon as it's carbonated, you have to degas it first. You have to get all the CO2 out of solution. Uh, but even then, you can uh, totally measure uh, your density, which is specific gravity, at any point during the brew process, during the mash, during the lauder, anytime you want. Uh, one of the things I love to do with this is I actually will, um, as I'm as I'm lottering out of the mash lotter ton, I will take samples about every, uh, for me a lotter takes about 45 minutes. So about every 10 minutes, I'll take a quick sample, throw it through uh, the Anton Parr here, and just see how much sugar is still in what's coming out. Uh, and that actually created a bunch of um, extra beer for me because I discovered that uh, even though I was getting 100% efficiency with my, with my mash using Ondia Pro, um, I, was still, I still had sugar that was coming out of the wort. And so what I've started doing is actually collecting. So I, I get all my runnings and then I measure the, last, the final runnings, see where I'm at. And if I have any sugar in there, I actually refill the mash ton uh, recirculate for loft for uh, five, 10 minutes until it's clear again, and then run it again. And that gives me even more sugar. I boil that up, sometimes add, I don't know, honey, uh, beet sugar, a little bit of sorghum, a little bit of brown rice. Um, you could do a second fortifying mash if you want. And, you know, just using some pale and get some more, some more gravity. And I make a second beer with runnings from the first mash. So I did that yesterday. Again, checked it as, I was, as it was lottering. And my mash efficiency yesterday that I calculated on one batch, I made a half barrel batch of uh, IPA, was 121%. That's impressive. That is very impressive. And it brings me to another topic of conversation that I wanted to touch on. And uh, I have to say, uh, from the uh, articles that are on gluten-free home brewing and the work that you've done with Jason Yeager at Mutantis, um, you and Jason and, and several others have been pretty instrumental in terms of uh, some research in terms of, um, you know, Ondia Pro, some of the enzymes that we use for gluten-free uh, brewing in the home brewer scale. And also I'm sure that you use those in, uh, in your current brewery. Yep. Talk to me about, uh, your thoughts on high efficiency brewing with enzymes and your kind of philosophy in terms of enzyme use. Uh, you know, are you a single infusion guy? Are you like a multi-step rising, falling, all kinds of craziness? What's your thoughts on that? So uh, I'm not a single infusion guy. I used to be. Uh, but the reality is single infusion is really easy, but the reality is that Andia uh, denatures in the single infusion range. You want to be up uh, like 165, 168 minimum for Termomil uh, to to really be happy and doing its thing. Uh, so that's there. So there's a there's a gap because Andia doesn't want to be over 145. Uh, you can push Andia up to about 150 ish. It starts to denature around there. Um, I run I run Andia at 141. Uh, 141 to 143 is where I run my Andia, uh, and I get you know 100% efficiency, 105% efficiency, 120% efficiency yesterday. Um, 
and that's that's where it needs to be. So definitely multi-step. Um, I do a two-step rising mash. Uh, so I start. Uh, I actually usually pre-cook the rice. Some some of my recipes I don't. Um, uh, some of my older recipes I don't because I find it changes the beer from what the recipe used to be a little bit too much. So like my Baker Street Porter, which is also Roca Creek Porter uh, on gluten-free home brewing, um, that's a beer that I don't pre-cook the rice on, uh, pre-gelatinize the rice essentially. And I just let, uh, I let the Andia and I let the Termomil do the work for me. Um, so pre-cook the rice or not, I mash in at 142. Uh, there's lots and lots of calculators out there that can help you hit that mash temperature exactly. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't have to hit it if I don't want to because I've got a Herms coil in my uh, hot liquor tank. So if I mess it up, I can run it through the Herms coil until I hit my temperature. Uh, I can also run it through basically a cold Herms coil uh, to lower the temperature if I need to. Um, so mash in 142. Uh, I let it, uh, I, I adjust the, I have to always get it right. I have to adjust the pH first, which I'm currently looking for between 4.5 and 4.8 for pH. Um, and then I add my, uh, all of my water salts uh, to the mash and finally pitch the Andia in. Uh, let it sit there, uh, go ahead and give it a good mix. Let it sit there for an hour. And then I start to recirculate through my Herms coil uh, in my hot liquor tank to bring the temperature of the mash up to 175. Let it sit there for an hour. And then I go straight to the Forloff. Uh, I don't do a mash out step, you know, where you put extra hot liquor on top to arrest the enzyme. Because if you're using Termomil, Termomil is active until just right before boiling. So a mash out step is not effective. And in fact, just contributes to compaction of the mash bed because you're putting all that extra weight on top and you can compact the right. mash. So skip mash out, just go straight to the forloff, forloff until it runs clear, and then uh, start the fly sparge or batch sparge, whatever you're most comfortable with. And uh, and and lauder to your boil kettle. That's that's how I mash. Um, I have helped another commercial brewery uh, with. Actually, I've helped a couple other commercial breweries uh, really dial in a falling mash uh, regime that works for them. Also gives them a similar ninety-five percent uh, mash efficiency rating. Um, and I should mention too, 95% uh, mash efficiency, that is using higher numbers to begin with. So it's actually quite wow. a bit higher than the old numbers. Uh, we used to always use 1.020 as the PPG uh, for rice malt, right? Yeah what, are, use, yeah, what are you using now for your number for rice malts? Uh, 26 to 28, depending on what it is, and getting 95% efficiency out of that. Wow. So it so, might even be higher than that then. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, at 28, uh, you know, a, a barley brewer relies on somewhere in the 70% efficiency range uh, and barley's, you know, 30, somebody can correct me, I'm sure, but barley's perceived to be more fermentable than, than, uh, than gluten-free malts are. I'm getting hundred percent efficiency, which is theoretically impossible 
but um, maybe not uh, with those higher numbers. So, yeah. You're just that good of a brewer, right? You're like a hundred percent kind of guy. You get every single last little bit of sugar out of there. Straight A's. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm very lucky to have uh, started a collaboration with Jason Yerger. He was really on the cutting edge of doing some research for mash uh, uh, enzymes for mash. Um, Alan uh, Windhausen at, uh, at Holla Daily Brewing as well. He uh, has a lot of information about, about enzymes and specifically what they do, including telling, uh, including knowing what all the different uh, prefixes and suffixes of the different enzymes actually do uh, to, to the grain itself. It's really cool. They, those two know so much more than I do. Yeah, we've had we've had uh, several. Uh, we've had at least one zero tolerance meeting where we really dived into the enzymes, and you could probably talk about it every meeting for the next year, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, part of it, it seems like you have to have like a degree in chemistry or something like that to really get it, right? So yeah. I have to keep re-looking at the same articles over and over again because I'm like, what is that? What? Which uh, which different things uh, get created for which different uh, sugars? Is this maltose? Uh, you know, glucose. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. It's pretty crazy, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, uh, six months ago, I was trying to I was working on research for this, and and I actually looked up the sugar content, the traditional sugar content of a barley uh, mash, and uh, I actually think I could probably pull it up here. Um, sugar content uh or maybe sugar mash this is i'm sure a very uh very boring part of this um nope that doesn't tell me but it's uh it's uh let's see mash do do do, do. Oh man, Ed Golden, what a great guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not finding it in my notes right now, but it's, you know, you, you want so much uh, sucrose, uh, you want so much maltose, you want so much maltotriose, and then the rest you want higher saccharides, uh, and those higher saccharides give you that body and that head retention. So, um, one of the things with enzymes that we tend to do with gluten-free brewing in the name of efficiency is we turn everything into sucrose with a, uh, with a glucoamylase. Uh, sorry, we turn everything into glucose with a glucoamylase. Uh, glucose is very fermentable, extremely fermentable, but it, it makes the beer really, really dry. Right. And what we really want, what the main part of, of barley uh, mashes are, is the maltose and the maltotriose. Uh, and so if we can get more of that maltose and that maltotriose, especially the maltose, into our mash, into our wort, then the yeast is going to be happier and it's going to produce a beer that tastes like beer rather than tasting like cider or wine or something else that's not beer. Or a brute IPA, right? Which was the big thing, right? So sure. I mean, been, I make a brute IPA, and people love it. And, been, and I yeah. make, I make my brute IPA without any enzymes at all. I just use yeah. 
straight like gluten-free ingredients that love to go dry and right. just let right. it go. Right. Yeah. So what do you think in terms of if you had to recommend um, a recipe uh, to someone that's just starting out as a novice brewer? Um, what would be like the one recipe that is something that, you know, there's low failure on that you think would be the, the, the best kind of recipe to start with in terms of gluten-free brewing? So for gluten-free brewing, um, I think that the best way to go is to use a recipe that uses a technique like partial mash or partial grain. Um, so use some, use some ingredients that are going to give you some flavor that's got more than just, you know, extract sorghum or, or brown rice syrup or, or honey or something. I mean, you know, a majority honey, something is mead, uh, but um, use something, use some malt that gives you some flavors that you can't get with sorghum. Uh, but also use sorghum because if you use it the right way, it's got a very neutral flavor. Um, one thing to really watch out as a novice or beginning brewer is be very careful how you add the sorghum to the boil kettle because if you add it too fast and it goes to the bottom and caramelizes, that's where you get those off flavors, that uh, mineral taste or the twang that people talk about. Uh, that's caramelization uh, of, of that sorghum, of those sugars on the bottom of the kettle. Um, so I would really recommend a recipe like uh, Roca Creek Porter, which is partial grain um, that uses uh, you basically, you, you, malt, you mash the specialty malts, uh, two types of millet, three types of rice, and then uh, you add the sorghum in the uh, boil kettle, and you get a really nice beer. That's actually the uh, civilian version of my Baker Street Porter, if anybody's had that beer. Um, I think you have. Uh, oh, yeah. That's, that's Baker, Baker Creek Porter and Roca Creek Porter are, um, were originally the same recipe there, not anymore, but, um, that's, that's, that's where that recipe came from. And the cool thing about doing a beer like that is, uh, it, going back to the idea of mash efficiency. Um, if you use no enzymes at all, uh, if you totally mess up the mash, no matter what you do, you're going to get 25% efficiency. Even if you use unmalted grain, you're going to get 25% efficiency. So that's going to make a contribution to the beer, no matter what you do. If you can get a little better than that out of the grain, then you're going to have a higher gravity beer. You're going to have more flavor in the beer from that grain, from that, uh, that millet and that, and that rice. But if you totally mess it up, you're still going to have a good beer. Uh, and you, that sorghum backstops uh, any, any flaws with, with your mashing technique and makes it so that you can make a really nice beer. Uh, without, with a minimum of equipment, you could do that as a, you could, you could make that recipe as an all-in, with an all-in-one system, 
or with a mash bag and give it a good squeeze and then boil, uh, add the sorghum and boil it. It's just a really easy recipe to use. You could even do it without even milling the grains, right? You could just steep it uh, like, uh, you know, the John Palmer, you know, steeping with specialty grains uh, and get a really low gravity beer, but it would be more flavorful than if it was just an all sorghum beer, right? So you get Absolutely. that flavor profile from those other other grains. I'd recommend if you're if you don't have a mill, um, you can always use a Corona mill, a Corona style mill. That's like the two stones against each other. Uh, that will it, it'll create a lot of flour, but um, but that's going to give you more than just using the whole grains and steeping them. Uh, you're going to miss a lot if you don't do some kind of crush just because the surface area is so much less with the unmilled grain. Um, it's, it's just, it's not going to give as much, but if that's the tech you have, use what you got. And you know, the old saying, uh, from, uh, Papazian is, uh, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew, right? And my saying is run with what you brung, man. Right. Yeah, so that's right. Do, do whatever you got to do to make some beer. Right. So brew hoppy. <laughs> <laughs> is this so, the part of the interview where we just we just say uh idioms from homebrewing <laughs> exactly right <laughs> <laughs> so last last question for you uh yeah. here uh, so we've talked about your brewery we talked about some techniques uh we've talked about you know, the pandemic uh give us an overall uh, uh vision that you have for beerly brewing for your brewing over the next, you know, say five, 10 years, where do you see yourself as a, as a brewer and, and beerly brewing in the future? Yeah. So I dream every night, uh, about where we're going to be in five to 10 years. Um, and, and I have an idea of where I want to be and, and it'll be interesting to see how much further than that that we get. Uh, I always end up being pulled by the market um, faster than, than I had expected to, to be in a place. So five years where I hope to be is brewing on a larger system in my new space, uh, cranking out somewhere around uh, 2,000 to 2,500 barrels a year. Um, few employees open five days a week uh, in mostly most of the states in the Pacific Northwest, uh, in cans, uh, in that time too. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of comfortable for five, 10, you know, a little bit more than that. Um, maybe looking at, uh, a larger manufacturing, dedicated manufacturing facility, in addition to our uh, our headquarters uh, with where the, the, the brew pub is and uh, you know um, watching my boys grow up I've got a right now I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old watching them grow up um, naming beers after him still Felix is the name of, of my four-year-old uh, working on getting uh, the beer for Jamie uh, put out that's James Blonde um, and you know just enjoying them watching them grow up and you know, uh, maybe a little bit of distribution for pretzels and dare I say it, donuts too. We'll see. We'll see. You know, uh, 
I, I'm open, I'm flexible to, to what people say they want. Um, as long as they don't tell me that they want barley in their beer. Because that I will not do. Exactly, right? And if you, <laughs> if you give it a little bit more time, you can put them to work in the brewery too, right? So you need a That's couple right. extra hands, keep it in the family, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, hey, JP, I want to thank you uh, for joining us today. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us talking about your brewery, talking about uh, your future plans. Um, man, I need to get one of those donuts quickly. <laughs> um, I just remember, if you're going to come down and you want a maple bar, first full weekend of the month, whenever, the, whenever Saturday of the, the beginning of the month is, uh, that's Maple Bar Weekend. Nice. And JP is um, a frequent contributor to our Zero Tolerance uh, Gluten-Free Home Brewing Facebook page. So uh, if you ever have any, if anyone out there has, has any t uh, subjects that uh, they need feedback on, uh, that's basically where most of the conversation happens. You can find Beerly Brewing in McMinnville, Oregon, soon to be moving to a much fancier high-tech uh, space here, hopefully soon. And um, I just want everyone to remember, right? No barley, no wheat, no rye, no problem. Exactly. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you.